Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. Let me start with this. I was thinking about this as I was reflecting on this morning's text and, and the theme that we find ourselves this week. Uh, in the early days of... Um, the relationship with my wife, now this is going back over 20 years, I was thinking about how a word or a look or an encounter made me feel. And kind of like if, if you've ever experienced that, um, where you start to feel something, think something, um, then, then this desire to explore more. And something in me was saying, oh, I want to get to know this person more. As I was getting to know my wife, Franca, there was these moments when, you know, you just have this kind of real, real kind of feeling of, oh, what is that? I want to explore that. And eventually, over time, that led to discerning this lifelong commitment with my wife. She's actually sitting right over here today. And uh, that the, the early stages of feelings and emotions and exploration and knowledge of her led me to want to discern a lifelong commitment with her. And I wonder if you think about maybe a part of your life. It could be your marriage. It could be uh, another part of your life that, that you're very deeply committed to. And as you consider the trajectory of your life, you go back to the early moments of, of maybe the thought that led you to start that or the feeling of excitement around that or maybe some discovery around that. And, and I thought about the relationship with my wife because it led from feeling and exploration or emotion and exploration to something much more long term. And I think about the idea of faith, how often faith starts as a question or faith starts as an emotion or faith starts as a search. And I don't mean just this mental ascent of faith, but I mean this idea of what it means to eventually put your trust in Jesus and those early days uh, eventually point to potentially qualifying and pursuing what that looks like to something that's long term, to something that's even communal with other people. There's a snapshot that I want to look at today in Acts chapter 8. If you've got your Bibles, turn to it or you can follow on the screen. There's a snapshot of a personal exchange influenced by the resurrection and the resurrected Jesus. It's a seeker who's looking for a hope that he believes exists. And it's a follower of Jesus who points this person towards the way of Christ. Acts chapter 8 verse 26. We're going to read the whole story because it's such an awesome story. And um, hopefully that helps us get into the, the whole idea of it. So here, here we meet this person named Philip. He's an apostle. And we find ourselves right in the middle of his story. Then an angel of the Lord said to Philip... Get up and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a wilderness road. So he got up and went. Now there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of the Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, in charge of her entire treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning home. Seated in his chariot, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the spirit said to Philip, Go over to this chariot and join it. So Philip ran up to it and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he replied, how can I, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to get in and sit beside him. Now the passage of scripture he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. Like a lamb, silent before its shearers. 
so he does not open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, about whom, may I ask you, does this prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? And then Philip began to speak. And starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. And they were going along the road. They came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. And what is to prevent me from being baptized? So he commanded the chariot to stop. Both of them, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water. And Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. And he was, as he was passing through the region, he proclaimed the good news to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. God, as we just immerse ourselves in this story of the early church, we just say welcome to the voice of your spirit in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds Grab our attention today in the area where we need to, to, to pay attention to. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is an amazing snapshot for sure of this first century follower of Jesus, Philip, and the queen of Ethiopia's financial minister. But the climax of the story, the climax of the story is really this eunuch's baptism. This person's baptism where his faith finds longevity and community. Where he moves from a sense of discovery to a sense of long-term commitment and life and community. And what I want to do this morning briefly is just to peek inside this encounter to find this journey. Like this journey where this Ethiopian and Philip being involved leads towards his baptism. Because Philip is an apostle and he's sharing the good news of the resurrection and the union gets to be a part of that and moves forward in this hope that he's looking for. So th this first piece of the journey for me, I want to call it inclination. I got four words to kind of walk through. And so the first word is inclination. We get this sense that, that, that this Ethiopian is hungry, is hungry for something. He's hungry to discover. He's hungry to learn. He's hungry to find what, what he's searching for in his heart. Now he's called a eunuch. So that's kind of unique. Uh, because it means that as a male, he is missing his male gender parts. That could mean that they were removed, cut off. It could mean that he was born this way. It could mean that maybe he lacked testosterone and he didn't develop uh, the way other males do. And for whatever reason, that's why he's called a eunuch. And it wasn't uncommon in that time for eunuchs to work for the state. And so here we find this person, he's the queen's finance minister. He's smart. He's a good administrator. He knows how to work with numbers and money. He knows how to handle things. And so he's good at his job, and he has a really high position in this, in this uh, you know, party or this, this nation. But he's also interested in Judaism. Something has attracted him to the faith of the Jews, to the God of Israel. Maybe it's the calm. Maybe it's the wisdom of Judaism. Who knows? And so he goes to Jerusalem to worship. Maybe he's going to join one of the important festivals that's happening at the time. And he wants to be part of this. He wants to learn. And he's on his way back. And he has a copy of Isaiah, the prophet from the Old Testament. And we don't know if he has the whole thing, if he has a section, or how he got this but he's reading it. But he obviously needs help reading it. He, he needs help understanding what he's reading. 
Because there's something in Isaiah that's pointing him to God's promise being fulfilled, to this servant, to this person that would come at some point and do something that God wants done for the sake of the world. And it's in this moment we find this inclination, this hunger in his heart that God orchestrates something with Philip. God orchestrates an encounter with Philip. And I'm saying God orchestrates it because God literally said to Philip, go down this road, go meet this person, right? And that leads to Philip's role. Like we have the inclination of the eunuch, but we have the proclamation of Philip. This amazing opportunity that Philip, as a follower of Jesus, uh, with apostolic witness, shares the good news of Jesus. And I love this moment because it tells us so much about how we can be people who proclaim faith and the resurrected Jesus in our world. Because if you notice, Philip's proclamation does not begin with talking. Philip's proclamation begins with listening. Philip's opportunity to proclaim Jesus and the resurrection does not start with him talking, but it begins by Philip listening to God's spirit. God whispers to Philip, go down this road, go to this place, and whispers to Philip, go into this person's chariot and hang out with him. So Philip is listening to God's spirit. It tells us something about how they get to this, how he gets to this point to be able to proclaim who Jesus is. He's, he's sent by the spirit and he's sensitive to the spirit. This is really important for us that we understand that we're sent by the Spirit into our world, but something that we must always catch in this idea of being sent is that we become sensitive to the Spirit who sends us. See, get this, while Philip is ready to proclaim, he has this posture of submission to God's Spirit. Now, I I don't know about you, you've probably seen videos or encountered people who just love to just kind of like blare out some propositional truths from the Bible or something that they believe. There's a video that pops up in my newsfeed and it probably, and, and, and I don't know why, it's this, this same person who speaks in downtown Toronto, has a microphone, and he walks up to people and he, somehow he's always talking about two things. He's talking about like, where did humans come from and the LGBT community? And all he does is he holds a mic and he asks people and then he stops them before they can even say anything and he keeps talking and everybody's getting mad at, at him and everybody's kind of freaking out at him and he keeps laying down this like you know uh, his belief to the crowd now in some ways there's some things that he says that I would say I agree with what you're saying but as he's speaking he never he, he doesn't give me the sense that he's being sensitive to the work of the spirit in that moment all he wants to do is talk he's not listening he's not listening to the people and in some ways he gives me a sense he's not listening to God He's just looking for arguments. But Philip's approach is a formula for an encounter because you have the searching world represented in this Ethiopian eunuch and you have a spiritually sensitive church represented in the life of Philip. You have the the, the searching world and there are people in our world who are searching and then you have Philip representing the spiritually sensitive church that listens to God's spirit, is sent by God's spirit and discerns when God's spirit says, join this, join that, go here. And so to join what God is doing is like Philip who joins the eunuch in his chariot. The first thing he does is not talk. He listens and he finds out This guy's reading Isaiah. This guy has a search going on here. And in that moment, Philip hears the prophet's words. 
And then we get this call from the eunuch. I need to understand this. Can, you help, can someone help me understand this? Can someone help me understand what I'm reading? Can someone help me? Under, who is this lamb? Who is this meek and humble servant that's referenced in other parts of that part of Isaiah? Who is, how is God going to accomplish what this prophetic voice is saying? Is it happened? Has it happened? Will it happen? How will it happen? And, and the eunuch is asking, Philip, how, can you help me understand this? And this is so helpful in general for how the early church even maybe uses this story to help us understand how we grow in the reading of Scripture. We don't grow in the reading of Scripture in isolation. We don't just tell people, hey, here's a Bible, go home and read it, and whatever comes to mind, do it. We don't do that. We say, no, no, let's learn as a community. Let's, let's, interpret, it. let's interpret the Scriptures in a communal way. Let's look back at the creeds and the confessions of faith and the church over history and understand, because Philip has this apostolic lens to help the eunuch understand what the prophet is saying and how Jesus fulfills that. And it's this beautiful moment that sets up Philip to proclaim to this person, all of what you're reading points to Jesus. All of what you're reading points to God's servant, Jesus. And this creates the opportunity for this eunuch to now hear the proclamation of Philip and make a declaration, and that's that next, this next piece in the story. The, 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 the eunuch, or this Ethiopian man, he ends up connecting the dots as Philip speaks to him and realizes, oh, wow, what I've been reading, what I've been searching for, what I've been longing for, finds its fulfillment in the Jesus you're telling me about. It's very likely that, 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 that Philip connects the dots of the death and resurrection of Jesus to what Isaiah was saying and that all of God's promises are found in Jesus. That Jesus is the yes to God's promises in the prophetic writings. N.T. Wright says it like this. You can read it with me off the screen. N.T. Wright says, the figure of a servant, whom Isaiah writes about, the figure of a servant, one who would complete Israel's tasks, who would come to where Israel was, to do for Israel and for the world what neither could do for themselves, to bear in his own body the shame and reproach of the nations and of God's people, and to die under the weight of the world's wickedness. It's as if Isaiah, as he was reflecting and meditating and, and, and as he's starting to pen what the Holy Spirit is leading him to pen, he starts to describe the, this suffering servant, this meek servant, this humble servant, this one who would, be, who would be betrayed and who would die and who would accomplish God's will and who would rescue Israel and the world. And then Jesus is the one who fits that job description. When Jesus rises from the dead, when Jesus' resurrection gets connected to his teachings and his life and his ministry and his miracles and his words and his preparation for his disciples, it's like Jesus is the one who fits the job description that Isaiah was talking about back in the prophets. That he's, this is what God is going to do. And Jesus fits that description. And the eunuch believes. And the eunuch turns and the eunuch declares, and his belief moves him to baptism. His belief moves him to baptism. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a verse missing in your Bibles. If you read through this in your own Bibles, most Bibles will have a little note. And it's like, it goes from verse 36 to verse 38. And there's a little note, and you probably look at the bottom of your page in small writing, verse 37 is written out. 
And uh, verse 37 is possibly a later inclusion that the church uh, believed that this eunuch and Philip would have said to one another. And it was, it was the verbal confession of his baptism. So it'll read something like this, where Philip says to the eunuch, if you believe with all your heart, you may be baptized. And the eunuch responds and says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Now, some might say, well, like, why even bother mentioning a verse that might have been there? Maybe was only added later. And I want you to understand whether verse 37 was added or not. This specific line reflects the earliest Christian, the earliest uh, belief of Christians. Where when someone was going to, when someone was moving towards baptism, they were often asked, "Do, do you believe this? And then that person would confess it. Yeah, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Paul said the same thing in Acts chapter 9 when he got baptized. And this theme is found in our creeds and in the, in the early New Testament documents. And it leads to this encounter. And it's the encounter, the, the climax of this, where, where we see this eunuch making a step towards baptism. Where can I be baptized, he asks. And they stop the chariot when they find some water and they get out and they walk down towards the water and Philip baptizes this Ethiopian man. And it's the part of the story that I want to call incorporation where we move from right from the beginning to the end here. We see this sense of incorporation happening. That's what baptism is. See, baptism in this moment reflects the key transition of faith the exploration of faith and the continuation of faith for this Ethiopian man. Baptism reflects this key transition. And here's why. And here's why. And this is so important. Here's the moment, not just when he's searching, not just when he confesses, but even included in this baptism where God's story becomes his story. Where God's life becomes his life. Where God's promises become incorporated into his life where in his baptism there's an incorporation into God's story and God's life and baptism is the moment followers of Jesus move into new life in Christ I know of course there's there's the moment where we believe where we confess where we trust where we maybe say a prayer where we maybe make a decision but what we notice in the early church and what we notice in this story is how baptism and that confession come hand in hand because that is the moment where we're saying, God's, God, your story is now my story. I want to incorporate my life, my story into your story. Your story is greater. And so that act of baptism does, does a few things. It's, first of all, it's, it's an act of confession. Yes, there's verbal confession. But baptism is the follow-through to that confession. Baptism is saying, Jesus is God's son. And I'm going to be baptized as he was baptized. I'm going to be baptized in fulfilling your plans, God, because Jesus did the same thing. In 1 John chapter 4.15, it says, John writes this to the early church. He says, God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the son of God, and they abide in God. There's this confession that takes place in our heart and mind, but then there's movement from confession to baptism. I was reading last night uh, a commentary on the book of Acts from the author I mentioned last week, Willie Jennings. Yeah, sometimes I read commentaries for fun. That's kind of weird. But anyways, he, he was saying, he said this one line. He said, faith will always find the water. Faith will always find 
the water. And he was referring to this story that when, when someone, when an individual makes a confession of faith and they're putting their faith, their trust, or what we said last week, their allegiance to Jesus, that faith will always find waters of baptism because that is the natural step in a life of faith. So there's confession. The next thing is there's immersion into the life of Jesus where when someone is baptized and you imagine the way we often baptize people, whether it's in the lake or here at West Side in a tub where there's an immersion or sometimes water poured over people where that's not possible. There's this sense of immersion. And so baptism reflects it's the act of immersion into the life of Jesus, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Willie Jennings says this again. He says, This is like a slicing into a life's control center and its redirection toward life in God that makes every baptism a lightning bolt. I love that line. This this idea where when we are immersed into the life of Jesus, somehow there is a slicing into our control panel. There is a slicing into our control center and now our lives get redirected towards all towards God's story, towards God's life. But here's another thing that the act of baptism does. It's an orientation towards new loyalty in Jesus. We talked about new loyalty last week. This idea where our whole life is now directed towards Christ. And you know, sometimes that's messy. Sometimes that's complicated. Sometimes when someone comes to faith in their 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s, there's decades of of emotional baggage. There's decades of habits. There's decades of false beliefs. There's decades of stuff. And it's messy. And often, yet Jesus calls us to a a whole life directed towards him. And sometimes there's even ways that people label us. Sometimes people label the way we act or the way we talk or our social status or uh, things connected to, uh, you know, our past experience or even sexuality. Here's this eunuch. We don't know why he's a eunuch, but he's a eunuch. And there's complexities even to his identity in the first century. And somehow he's being called to follow Jesus with the complexity of who he is. Willie Jennings says this, he says, the complexities of his identity no longer prescribe a way of life because he is found in Christ and his flesh is now bound to the spirit through baptism and his body belongs to God. Now, I know I say this and I mention it like, you know, referring to this Ethiopian eunuch and you might think, oh, well, this is only like, this is in reference to sexuality or this is in reference to gender. It's not just that. It's not just the complexities of gender. It's all the, the messy parts of our lives. It's all the kind of pieces, things that have like created our identities. But when we come to Christ, something shifts, something changes. And we, in a sense, get oriented into his life. And if you've been following Jesus for a while, you know that that's messy. You know that that takes time. You know what that that sense of what that feels like. That now our past or our labels or our social status or how much money or how little we have in the bank or our careers, 
are no longer the central orientation of our lives. Jesus prescribes a way of life regardless of who we are or who we've been. And so then what do we do? We offer ourselves. We say, Jesus, lead us. Our life is under your management. We bring all our messiness to you. And I love how in this story we see the beauty of an Ethiopian eunuch who encounters a Jewish apostle and yet he finds Jesus and discovers the, the, the place of his hope. And then here's where we get to this. It's this last piece of it. It's, it's incorporation into the body of Christ. I want you to get this. This is so important. Because Philip and the Ethiopian are coming from two different places. They meet on the road. But they will forever travel the same road. Because they are now both in Christ. They will forever travel the same road. Because they are both in Christ. Regardless of where they've come from. Or how they've gotten there. Or how the spirit you know, brought them together. Now they are both in Christ. And both in the church or God's community. It's so important to grasp this. Because baptism is an incorporation into the life of Jesus. Into the life of his church. Robert Weber who passed away several years ago says. Easter faith means that Christ rises in you. And Christ rises in the church. And that, that's our calling together. And I guess I'll sum it up this way with this phrase that will come up on the screen. That baptism is sharing in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Baptism is sharing in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Look what Paul writes. Paul says in Romans 6, we have been buried with him by baptism into his death. So that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Philippians 3, Paul says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What does that mean for you and me? Baptism becomes the incorporation into the life of Jesus, into the life of the church. Here's what it means, I think, for you and me. If you've been following Christ for a while, if you've been baptized already, can I just encourage you to live into your baptism, that your baptism wasn't just a one-time moment, that your baptism just wasn't a moment where you got dipped into water and came out and made a confession of faith, but baptism is a life Our spiritual formation is a baptismal life because we continually are immersed, oriented towards Christ, confessing who he is, incorporated into his life and his body. So for you or for me, and I was baptized over 30 years ago, it's a call to me to live into my baptism, to, to make sure that my spiritual formation is a baptized life, that I continue to immerse myself in who Jesus is and in the body of Christ. But maybe for some of us today, here's this next move for you. The next move for some of us that, that have been exploring Christ or have made a decision to follow Christ or feel that we, are, we have put our faith in Christ or maybe have been even part of, you know, the larger part of the church for a while. My, my call to you, your next move may be a step into baptism. Step into baptism. 
Maybe you've been prolonging that. Maybe you've been waiting. Maybe you're wondering, like, can I even do that in the pandemic? Yes, you can. We baptized a few people, uh, you know, in Point Clare Village last fall. And, and we can, there's ways to baptize people in a pandemic. Don't worry about it. But it's not the how that's the, that's the issue. It's, do you hear that call to move into the baptismal life? To move from the, the emotional exploration or maybe intellectual peace of following Jesus and then moving into the longevity and community of being, having life in Christ and life in the church. That's, that's the call. There was no other next step that, that could have avoided baptism. Baptism for this eunuch was the next step, and it's the next step for all of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus. I'm going to ask the team to come up as we slowly move to communion this morning and and I think about what, how I started this morning. You know, I talked about how the early feelings, emotions, discoveries in my relationship with my wife, Franca, early on. And those feelings and that exploration and that desire to know and grow moved into like a life, a life of commitment. A life that was now expressed together. And I think about that evolution that evolution of, of exploring and learning and, the, and those early feelings, which so many people, when I relate to the life of faith, often feel that, oh, this feels good, this is nice, this feels real, I want to learn more, and then don't move forward. And I'm, I'm on a personal level, this is separate from my faith. I'm so glad that I moved from the emotional, the exploring, to a lifelong journey with my wife. But I want to encourage all of us in our life of faith that we move from that inclination we see to hearing something being proclaimed, even to declaring it with our lips, moving into incorporation, this idea of a baptized life. And, and, and let me just say this too. The hope of the eunuch was met in the resurrected Jesus. The hope of his search in Isaiah was met in the resurrected Jesus. And your hope and my hope, the world's hope is met in the resurrected Jesus, regardless of the complexities of our life, it's met in the resurrected Jesus. And you know what tradition tells us about this Ethiopian man? It tells us that he took the gospel and he went back to Ethiopia. It wasn't exactly the Ethiopia we have today, but it was on the outskirts of, um, of Egypt and other parts of that world. But many people will look back and see that, that Philip's sharing of the good news to this man and this man's reception of the good news and being baptized into Christ and into the church, this man became a beacon of the gospel to another part of the world that the apostles never hit. And we have a Middle Eastern and African church today partly because of that encounter in Acts chapter 8. There's these bookends of, of Philip with an apostolic faith in the resurrected Jesus, sharing it with this Ethiopian, and this Ethiopian then moving on. We never, really, we never hear of him again in Scripture, but historically, tradition tells us that that was such a formational step of faith in a baptized life that parts of the world were affected because of that. We're going to move into communion in this moment right now. And... Um, I'm going to invite you where you are just to get your bread and your wine ready. Um, and just before we do that, I want to pray because I want to just give us a moment to process what we've been learning today and then to just posture ourselves to receive from Christ, to be with Christ in this next moment of communion as well.
God, we, Lord, what an amazing slice of early church history we find in Acts 8. This pivotal moment where the church moves from their comfort level, their, 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 their geographical region to, to moving beyond that, to moving to outside of Jerusalem and Judea, to down into Gaza, down into other parts, Lord, and encountering this man that would then embrace the resurrected Jesus, see all how Jesus fits into the description of God's promise and purpose. Oh God, we just are so grateful for this. And I just, I pray right now for various people that are just processing right now in this moment. Maybe some of us that have been following you for a long time, we look back and we have neglected the baptismal life even though we've been baptized. We've neglected connecting our spiritual formation and growth with our baptism. And I just pray that you would lead us and guide us and help us to live into our baptism in greater ways because our life is in Christ and in the body of Christ, the church. And God, I pray for some who are just processing with us today, maybe for the first time, feeling the challenge of that next step towards baptism. Oh God, if there is a confession of faith that Jesus is the Son of God, if there is a realization and and a commitment towards new loyalty, God, I pray, God, for this beautiful concrete step of baptism to come to fruition in their lives. May we be able to celebrate with those decisions and those next steps, God, in the near future. God, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com giving. Until next time, peace.